But notice how this man, in the wisdom of God, is able to take all that intelligence, all that learning, and just shut their mouths. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Hello, my dear listeners. This is the podcast that they might know. And I'm your host, Joe Durso. And today I'll be talking about what it means to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, from John chapter 9. In my book, The Jesus You Need to Know, I wrote this. To know Jesus is to walk with him day by day in a living relationship. There is nothing hypothetical about a true relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the most real person in the universe. And then the true Christian talks to Jesus in the good times and bad. And Jesus talks back through his word. The Christian gives thanks to Jesus for all things. And he views all good things as undeserved blessings to sinful man. Sufferings work together for good to the Christian because he understands that he is loved. So it is I would like to depict it or I'd like to show how the scripture explains that in the life of a, a blind man as recorded in, in John chapter 9. And that's what I'll, I'll play that recording to you. So I, I hope that you're blessed by the hearing of this message from John chapter 9. And I hope that you will tell others about it as well. Let me begin by reading a portion of scripture found in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passing away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In this portion of scripture, we see a very powerful truth that there is needed in the life of every person born into this world a reconciliation, to be reconciled, to be brought back to a relationship that was meant to be, a relationship of unity and love and trust and honor and obedience. And in this relationship is is between men born to the race of Adam that was lost through sin, the 
the sin tore it apart because God hates sin and unrighteousness and unholiness and ungodliness, and he loves godliness. He is perfect. He is humble. He is love. He is light and truth. And all of those things are lost when a person is torn apart from a relationship with the eternal life, as John mentions in his letter. So the Christian becomes an ambassador, one who goes out and represents another. He represents the God of light and love. And the the way that this took place is in verse 21, he made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin. This is God who hates anything that is evil or unjust or unfair or unloving. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's identification with Christ. Identification with God through Christ that makes the person into a new person. Now, this scripture is graphically illustrated in the Gospel of John and in chapter 9, where where we want to spend our time today looking at this reality of reconciliation depicted first in a in a blind through a blind man, but also when it doesn't take place, what it looks like in religious people, religious leaders to be exact, and the multitude. So as I read, I'll stop and I'll make comments on this passage, and we'll think about this passage as it illustrates this need for reconciliation, how it takes place, and what it looks like when it does take place. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 9 in John's Gospel, we read these words. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now this comes from the end of chapter 8, obviously. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Just previous to that, Jesus was speaking to religious leaders, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, Before Abraham was born, I am. The term there is uh, that term used to Moses when Moses said the children of Israel are going to ask, who is this God that sent you unto us? What's his name? And God said to him, say, I am that I am. The great I am, the one who is self-existent, the one who has always existed, the eternal God. At that moment, Moses prostrated himself before God. That's all a person can do in the presence of the the I am that I am. But the people who heard Jesus say this, therefore they picked up stones, it says, to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They wanted to put him to death because he was making himself out to be God, which he was. But they didn't see it. And his disciples asked him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now let's think for just a minute of the, uh, the, the denseness of his disciples. Those who were followers. Disciple is a follower. They're following Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher. And they asked him this question, who sinned? 
this man or his parents that he would be born blind. Now, man is always looking for immediate consequences. We're all born into this world and all kinds of things happen and it's not always direct consequences for some sin. Because Jesus answered and said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We're all sinners. and Consequences are, have been sown into this life. But how direct or indirect they may be on how who we are uh, is not clearly known all the time. Certainly a man, a person who is born, is not going to pay for sins he hasn't committed yet. Uh, he's, so so uh, are they asking him that he did what were the sins he committed before he was born? He didn't exist yet. So why would he be born blind um, because of his sin? You see how ridiculous people, shallow we can be at times as we think through things. And the fact is, it wasn't his parents either. He then goes on and says, We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now this light of the world is pictured in the presence, at the time of this blind man. Uh, The picture is a man who can't see. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spit on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. In a manner of speaking, Jesus spit in the man's eyes. Now I want to tell you, this is a spit that none of us should skeeve or not want part of because it's coming from a God who cannot be affected by disease or bacteria or anything else he, he radiated life, eternal life, healing, restoring, reconciling life. He lived a life without any sin whatsoever. He hated sin as God does. So he, he applies the spittle to this man's eyes. And when he had, uh, and, and then he said to him, verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam which translated, sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Let's think about this for a minute. So he sends him off to a pool of water so he could wash. But the name is mentioned by the writer here, by John, which it means sent. So he sends away the man. Jesus himself was sent. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah means sent one. He is the sent one. This man was sent, just a normal man, just an average man, one of many of created in, in, in the course of the world's history, in the billions of people. But there's one who's special, one who is especially sent for a special purpose like no other. This is Jesus, the sent one. And he sends this man away to wash. And when he comes back, he's seeing. Therefore, the neighbors in verse 8 and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and, and beg? No doubt he's wearing the same clothes. He's got the same face. 
people who have been watching this man who was born blind. He's now of age where he, he needs to beg. He can't work. It's not like today in America where there's all kinds of ways in which to, to get along and seeing eye dogs and this and that. And everything. Then that day, you, you, you were resigned to begging if you weren't taken care of by some rich parents. And so he begged for money as a way of life. And people saw this, his life through. There's no doubt some knew him from a child. And so these people come around and, and he's seeing. Can you imagine the man himself never having seen anything before? He washes his eyes and as he's washing his eyes, he's opening his eyes and all of a sudden his eyes are really opening. He's seeing color for the first time. He's seeing what people really, he can know now what they look like, different hairstyles, different facial expressions. He's in awe. He's in wonder at what's going on. He hears people speak, maybe. And as he hears them speak, this man who has been trained his whole life to rely on hearing recognizes voices. Maybe he went up to a person or two and said, hello, and he's shaking his hand with a glee on his face. And if the person recognized him, wait a minute, it, isn't this the man who I've known to be blind all his life? What, what is, he's had to beg his life. He's been reduced to a beggar, and now he's recognizing me? And out of this, they, they, it hit them. They saw that, isn't this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is, this is he. So it went from those questioning what's going on here to others who said, yeah, this is the one. This is, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he's like him. He kept saying to them all, I am the one. So there's confusion. Is this him? Is this not him? Some are sure it's him. Others not so sure, but it looks like him. Others just questioning. Verse 10 so they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? I mean, obviously, till today, when people are blind, medicine, with all its fantastic advancements, we can't just go and give sight back to people, even today. There's, there's miracle things that happen, so to speak, in, in, the, in the science of medicine, but not just a blank check for everybody who's blind. All kinds of blind people around the world. It's a it's a good question. Well, well, then how uh, how do you see? How how were your eyes open? And he answers, the man who is called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes and said to me, "Go to Siloam and wash." So I went away and washed, and I received sight. This is fantastic. I mean, he makes clay. He he spits. He didn't mention the spitting part. He, he made clay. Maybe he didn't even know he spit. He made clay. He put it on my eyes. I went away to wash it. I'm dirty. I got to wash my face. And bing, I can see. They said in verse 12 to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. I mean, this is a man he had never seen his face. This is a man who said something to him after getting his face dirty. And he goes and washes it off. It's It's incredible. Now, it was the Sabbath. So then in verse 13, it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now, it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. This is Sabbath day as a day of worship. 
It's the day for the Jews, Sabbat, the day in which they re, re, cease from working in order to focus their attention on the glory of God. And meet, they read scripture that's believed to be from God. And it's a day of worship. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again, in verse 15, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. It's a simple story. It doesn't change. It can't change. That's what it is. It is what it is. That's what he says. Therefore, however, in verse 16, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now, this is a great statement. This is, uh, this is how religious people, these people were thinking in that day. People who were tied to the law, and the law was you didn't work, but in fact you, you focused on God. Now, there's no better opportunity to focus on God than when God res restores a man and makes him whole so that he can actually see when he never saw before. This is a miraculous work. Instead of seeing that reality and that truth, they actually focus on the fact that somehow in their minds, he's breaking the Sabbath. He's not working. He didn't go out to make a living. He's not growing crops. He's not, uh, in our day, driving for a, a car. He, he's not doing anything that we would call labor. He performed a miracle, a good work, in restoring a man's sight. This is the antagonism that people have towards Christ. It's right here in verse 16. They're, they're saying right from the, this man isn't from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Oh, he did a horrible thing. He restored a man's sight instantly. He, did, well, he made clay and he put it on his eyes. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a div division among them. So we, we go forward in this picture, and we're seeing now the people are divided. The people are divided from, from the religious leaders who are saying he's breaking the Sabbath, he can't be from God, and other people are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Uh, this, this is an incredible thing that took place. This, I've seen this man for my whole life. He, he can't see, but now he sees. And so we can understand why, why the people are divided. It's like today we have all kinds of divisions on in religion, we have religions in politics, people, you know, they reason. We have a mind that can think, and some people are a little bit more reasonable than others. Verse 17, so they said to the blind man again, that's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. So they're now asking the blind man, and the blind man is proclaiming that he's a prophet. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He, maybe he doesn't know much about Jesus at all. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just speculating at this point. Did he ever hear of the miracles? I don't know. What he does know is that he, what he believes is that he's a prophet. Why? Well, uh, he told him to go and, and wash. And when he washed, he started to see. So there was an implication there. He put mud on his eyes. Obviously, he was the one behind the whole seeing process. And he, he sent them to wash. The Jews then, in verse 18, did not believe it of him. 
that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents and the very one who had of the very one who had received his sight. Now this is a very interesting part of the story. So they're calling for the man's parents. They want to hear what they have to say. And they question them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? And now, then how does he now see? All right? Putting it right out to him. You say he was born blind. So then the question is, was he really blind? His parents, his parents answer in a very interesting way. They say to these religious men, who are not just religious, they have power over the community. They have power whether or not you're part of the community and you can buy and sell and you can live in a, in a productive way. If you're not part of the society, you're out, on, you're out in the cold. And the parents answer and say this. We know that this is our son. Okay, now we're dealing with things that just don't change. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. Straightforward answer unquestionable from the man's parents. But then they add this, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Now, they've validated the fact that it's their son, who would obviously know whether he was blind or not, and they do acknowledge that he was blind. How he now sees, they didn't know, and they didn't know anyone who made him to see. His parents said this, the writer adds, John adds, they said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, that's Jesus, to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So here's where the fear. They're going to be able to make a living. I mean, these men are going to just put us out because, you see, they're so sweet and so kind, and their religion has taught them to be so loving. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And these loving parents who are afraid to death right now, understandably, uh, but they throw the, the son out in the cold. Okay, just deal with him. We don't want any part of this. There's, a, there, there's the sin of, of selfishness in, involved in the parents. You see, there's, there's all kinds. There's the sin of hypocritical religious men who are not really religious. They're, they're more like hit men in their day with an appearance of religion in, on the surface. But in reality, they were just about money. In, one, in Mark's gospel, it says they used to take widows' houses. I mean, they would, you know, that you can just picture a man dying and the, the woman is kind of, she doesn't know business or anything else. And they just con the houses from the widows. This is how great these, these men were. So then in verse 24, it says, So a second time they called a man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Okay, so they know. They don't even know the man. They, they actually, they've been, obviously, maybe have had encounters. There were many Pharisees in that day. Different encounters, different Pharisees. But they know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He goes back to an unchanging reality. A reality witnessed by many people in that area. Some who were saying, yeah, this is the man. The parents themselves 
Yeah, he was, he's our son, and yes, he's blind, and now he sees. Just, just undeniable facts. Question is, how are we going to interpret the facts, the unchanging facts? So they said to him, he knows he sees, and they say to him, <clears throat> what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They want the particulars. They want to know how he opened his eyes. Now, he said, I, I told you already, and you did not listen. This is bantering, going back and forth about unchanging facts. I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Do you? You see, he's really sticking the needle in now. He's being sarcastic. He's pointing to them, to them the fact that they don't want to follow Jesus. They don't want to believe that this Jesus did what he says they did. No other people are saying, including his parents, that he was blind and now he sees. They're throwing it. He's throwing it in their faces. Interesting response in verse 28. They reviled him. I mean, they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Now they're claiming the law. They're running to Moses. They're running to the scriptures. They're running to what it means to be Jewish. We know that God has spoken to Moses. See, he, the blind man is saying he was a prophet. But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Now, the man at this point gives an answer that is incredible. Now, remember, this is an unlearned man. This is a man who's a beggar. This is a man who has to beg for a living. This is not a man who went through the higher levels of learning as these religious people. But notice how this man, in the wisdom of God, is able to take all that intelligence, all that learning, and just shut their mouths. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Goes back to the undeniable facts. We know that God does not hear sinners. Now he's going to a belief. The belief is that God does not hear sinners. There is a verse in the scripture, and this verse says, those who turn away from knowing the law of God, even their prayers are an abomination to God. So those who turn away from the law of God, their prayers are an abomination. They're, 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 and he, this is exactly who these men are. These men are men who sit under the law. They've studied the law. They know the law of Moses. They know the scriptures. And they abuse people. They abuse their authority. They abuse their power. They are those who actually turned away from the law, even though they claim to know it. They're an abomination to God. We know, he says, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. So God hears those who fear him. That's reverential and a fearful fear of God because God is holy and we're not. God is loving 
And to desire God's love and to give him honor and praise is a glorious thing. So the person who fears God and does his will is obedient to him. God hears those people. And then he goes on and says, since the beginning of time, there's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Now he's given history, which is something we can say till today. Who just makes clay, puts it on a person's eyes and they can see? Really? We can say never. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Bam. Who has the power to open a person's eyes? Well, it's not men. So who's that leave? It leaves God, the one who created everything from nothing. Which brings me back to the thought of Einstein who said, there has to be a God because nothing creates nothing. Now that's just Einstein. I don't know, maybe he wasn't very bright. I think he was though. Not getting off track, this man with his wisdom puts these people, I mean, in their place. In verse 34, they answered him. What would you expect? You were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? So they put him out. So these men are indignant. They see a blind man. They could go right to where the disciples, you know, why is he born, why is he born blind? You know, what's his sin? A stupid thought, really. An ignorant, foolish thing to think. But here they go. He's born, you're born entirely in sins. Entirely. Not partly, you know, not, there's a, we all know that we all sin to some extent. We'd have to admit that. To some extent, we all sin. But you're entirely in sins. And are you teaching us inference? We're not entirely in sins. We're not in sins. You know, we're good. So they put him out. Now in verse 35, the story Gets, goes from interesting to magnanimous. It goes to see grace and benevolence and truth in the gospel. Makes it very clear. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, I don't know if the blind man recognized Jesus' voice. I don't know if he really gets who he, who's talking right now. But it's very possible, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man is a title given from Ezekiel primarily, but it's used throughout the scriptures, and it refers to the coming Messiah. It's the name that Jesus loved more than all other names. It's the, man which, it's the name which kind of gives indication, even in the Old Testament scripture, that he's the Son of Man. He's a man. They wanted earlier stone Jesus because he said before Abraham was I am that shouldn't be really a, a, a something that takes them by surprise when the Old Testament scriptures are filled with the reference references to the Messiah being the son of man now you can miss things when you don't want to see it you can miss things when you're foolish or you're in sin and you're blinded by your pride so that's very clear, easily understood that they would miss all of that. But, and still, uh, he, Jesus, says to this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, 
that I may believe in him. But whoever speaking to him walks up to him and says, and whether he announced himself and made himself known again, I don't know. But he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is he? Lord. That's master. Uh, It's a a master-slave word. Uh, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So who's ever speaking to him, whatever he got to know at that, that moment, he knew enough to call Jesus Lord. And he wants to know who is the Son of Man. He did believe he was a prophet. So if he recognized that this is Jesus and that Jesus is a prophet, maybe the prophet knows who the Son of Man is. And so he asked him. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you. So the man who gave this blind man color, who gave him the images of the world in which he lived, the man who gave sight to the blind, the man who made it possible to not beg anymore, maybe he would have to since he was now thrown out of the society, but the man who gave him his sight back, he could see what his father's face look like, what his mother looked like, what people he had known who were kind and loving to him all his life, all his life, what they looked like, the man who gave him this, said that he was the son of man. You've seen him, and he is the one who was talking with you. And the blind man says to him, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You know, there was a time when 10 lepers were healed. And you would think everyone, anyone who would be, and everyone who would be healed in such miraculous ways. I mean, leprosy. I mean, just talk about being cast out and your skin becoming white and ruined and you can't have, you have feeling, you don't have feeling and you can burn yourself and hurt yourself and you do that all your life. This horrible disease of leprosy that they would all go running back to Jesus but one went back to thank Jesus and the other nine just went on with their lives. This man said to him, Lord, he's calling him Lord, he's calling him Master, I believe. And he worshipped him. I mean, he made him the object of his worship. And he was making God the object, so he wasn't worshipping man in an idolatrous way. He was worshipping the Son of Man, the one sent by God, to heal people not just physically and mentally and emotionally, which all takes place in time and in eternity, complete and made perfect in eternity, but the one who was sent to heal people spiritually, to make them right with God, to be reconciled to God, to make them a new creation in Christ, making old things pass away and all things become new. And Jesus, Jesus said, Here's the words that are so potent as they all are from Jesus. For judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. What does he mean by that? He came for judgment. To those who are blind 
and who then come to recognize the nature of their sinfulness, who come to recognize that they are sinful people before a holy God and they need reconciliation, and those who repent, who have been given a great gift, not just the healing of physical eyes, but the healing of the soul, who see as a gift from God. They are made to see that they are sinful men and they need repentance, and then they're given the power to repent. They're given a new heart. They're a new creation. A heart that loves can love God, a heart that can worship God, a heart that can submit and obey God. This gift is given. And the judgment, the judgment fell on Jesus Christ. He was not far in time from the cross to which he would go. He would be nailed there by men such as these Pharisees. And really, every man who's ever been born into the world hates God to different degrees in different ways, but we all hate God the same way, all willing to nail him to the cross in order to have our life as we want it. And he was nailed there by the cross, but he was, he was beaten and he was suffered under the hands of God who made him a sacrifice to pay the penalty of sin through Christ so that men might be set free. They might be given their sight back. They might be given their soul back. They might be given a relationship with God back. For judgment, I came into this world. Judgment on himself. So that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may become blind. So that what, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, there were Pharisees, it says in verse 40 who were with him, heard these things, and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Sarcasm just dripping off of their lips. They don't believe themselves to be blind. They believe themselves to be the intelligent, the schooled, the people who know the law of Moses, even though they don't keep it at all. Even though they'd rather blame Jesus for breaking the Sabbath, even though the horrible crime he did was to Give a man his sight back? This is the ignorance of these religious people. I'm not knocking all religion. Uh, I am knocking false religions. There is a religion that is from God. The religion of men believes that men can earn their way to heaven. The religion of God is that God came down in the person of Jesus Christ and saves men. These men, we are not blind to, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. This is not sarcasm from Jesus. This is an offering of truth. This is a truth that you need to recognize in effect. He's saying to these religious Pharisees, you, 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 you're full of yourself. You're full of your pride. Turn from this. You're full of your, your own sense of greatness, of your sinlessness. But if you were blind, you would have no sin. You're, you, in effect, if you could acknowledge your blindness, if you could acknowledge your sinfulness, if you could acknowledge your ignorance, if you could humble yourself, well, then you would have no sin. Your sin would be removed. But since you say, we see, since you say, you know, we're good, 
your sin remains. That's the way it is with all people. This is the illustration that reconciliation is needed. No matter if you're at the top of the rung, so to speak, in man's society, and you're religious, and you have all the degrees, and you know all these things, you're lost, and you need to be reconciled, no matter how good you think you are. This is the message for today. It's from John chapter 9. If you've been blessed by this, I hope you uh, will touch the the like button, you'll comment, say something about the sermon if you feel so led. Um, you go to my website, you can uh, read my blogs, um, read the scripture. If you're lost and you're outside of the faith, I hope the most important thing is that you read the scripture, you learn this thing for yourself, you, you confess that you need Jesus Christ. You become a child of God. If that's the case, let me know. Write me an email. Um, If you're in the faith, uh, understand that we are ambassadors for Christ. This is the message we proclaim, whether it's on a podcast or in people we know, we work with, family members. Whoever it may be, all people, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All need to hear the message of reconciliation. I hope that you'll pray to God to give you boldness to do that uh, more and more. Uh, this is Joe Durso, and I'm signing off for today. Hope you come back to a future podcast. Amen. Amen.